Hi there, and thank you very much for listening to this week's edition of Tellage Talks. And we are speaking today with David Leem Kyle, who's been a longtime photographer for the Cleveland Cavaliers, for the NBA, and for all big-time sports, for that matter. But the reasons why he became a photographer were somewhat abstract and certainly uh, devastating at the time towards him because as a collegiate basketball player at Cleveland State, he was an All-American, and he had a ticket, a fast ride, if you will, to the National Basketball Association. But he had an injury, and it just could not be rectified, and it ended his basketball career. And so, to photography he went, and wow, did he excel. We sat down recently, had a nice chat, and I hope you enjoy this week's edition of Tellage Talks with the famed photographer, the big guy, Mr. David Leem Kyle. Sitting here in the cone of silence, we're at the South Side, which is in Tremont, Ohio, with a phenomenal longtime sports journalist, photographer, and one-time great basketball talent as well. Mr. David Lim Kyle, so great to have you on with me today, David. Um, I got to just go back to the beginning. You, your love, your interest for making great photography wasn't just something that started while you were a kid. It was kind of something that you acquired as your basketball career was going along, right? Right. When I was uh, playing professional basketball in Holland, uh, which was the hardest part of playing basketball in Holland was playing in the wooden shoes, though. <laughs> Very fun. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Did well, you write that down before? No, you... <laughs> no, that's, that's an old one. But anyway, one of my teammates uh, was into photography, and we went to uh, play in London in Europe Cup tournament. And we had an off day, and I was coming uh, back from dinner with my wife, and Jim Woutstra, uh was heading out. And he said, hey, Dave, I'm going to take some scenic pictures of London. You want to come with me? So, yeah, I said, sure. We went, hopped on subways. He went on different areas and uh, taking pictures. He had a tripod and a cable release and all that and taking night shots. And then uh, I found it interesting. He showed me his pictures. And I always had an interest in art. And uh, I ended up buying a camera. He helped me buy a camera at a local camera store. Yeah. Or classic Ricoh 35ZF camera. <laughs> and uh, it was just a rangefinder camera, and uh, I just got into it and took off. What what about it excited you? What what was the the enticement for you? Uh, I don't know. I think uh, it was the appeal of creating art, going different places. It's kind of uh, when you're behind the camera, you're just kind of free. You're just you get away from everything. Uh, it's relaxing. Is it like that when you're in the when you're seated below the basket at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse? Do you kind of put all that other stuff away from you? Uh, yeah, you're concentrating on what you're doing and you're just into the game. And uh, like last night, you know, I'm kind of used to the game starting at seven, yeah. and uh, you know, it's on ESPN. And it's like seven o'clock, and I'm, I want the game to start, and I'm like, okay, let's get this thing rolling, you know. And then seven thirty game starts and just start shooting trying to get in the flow of the game um try to figure out what the other team's running on offense you, you know you can kind of pick up their plays mm -hmm. and just, it's just 
that's all you're thinking about. Uh, so we go back to when you played basketball, Dave. Uh, you played overseas. You were a star. You're you're a, a, a Cleveland school uh, basketball legend, Cleveland State University. Um, how deep does did that love of basketball go for you as a kid? You know, it's it's. I didn't start playing until the seventh grade, and uh, when I first I was at CYO at St. Thomas More, and they already were playing. Uh, the season was going on, and a couple guys quit. And one of my buddies say, hey, you know, we need a guy to come play. <laughs> and uh, I went there. I had no clue what I was doing. You know, I just shot around the yard. They're trying to do figure eights, and I'm completely lost. But then I finally, uh, you know, I didn't play right away. But when I, like, scored that first basket in the game, I could still see it going, see it going in my mind. I can still see the ball going through the hoop. And just that feeling of scoring a basket Yeah. just kind of... And then when it when it gets, then when it got to the other level when I was All American at Cleveland State, it's like it's, it was still a you know awesome feeling, scoring a basket when everybody's trying to stop you. Right. But, but more before that first one, it was like happy and lucky it went in, but in different level, the attitude was after you scored like man you can't stop me you know you that kind of no. yeah. And you really had things going uh, heading into your senior year. I mean, you you were exposed to NBA people. What was that like for you? Boston Celtics, legends like obviously Red Orbach and uh, some of the players and what. You know, I, I felt like I belonged there. And that, one of the advantages at Cleveland State at that time was uh, the NBA teams, like Cavaliers, would come in. They didn't have, they didn't work out all year like at a facility like they do now. They would go home in the summer and then they come in early. And like guys like Campy Russell, Jim Jones, Jim Brewer, John Johnson, and that, that era would would come into Cleveland State in our open gyms before our season started, mm-hmm. and in, in early summer, and you know we were playing against NBA players, and you know, and so the awe wasn't there. I mean, I remember watching Campy at Michigan, how smooth and awesome he was, and right. here now he's like one of my best friends, you know, since I met him at Cleveland State. But uh, it's it just the you know love for the game. It, it just developed over. Hey, developed no pun intended. <laughs> hey, see, it goes to develop a jump shot. Develop my uh, film. Your your, my your shooting film. But so you go away. You go to a camp. You go to a showcase, and you really show out. Uh, and, and that really put a lot of uh, uh, thoughts in your mind that you could definitely make a big living at this game. Yeah, when uh, I was invited, Red Arback used to have a camp for kids in the summer, and it was the same week as those rookie tryout camps. And I was invited as a counselor, and he would invite all the other top college players as counselors, and it was like his scouting service, mm-hmm. which is illegal now. They, yeah. You know, so uh, I went there, and I was a counselor, and the college guys would play together in an outdoor court, and then the after a couple of days, I was invited to play with the rookies during the day. And then uh, at night, they used to go to Marshfield Mass High School. So Norm Nixon and myself were the only two college guys invited to come up to play with the veterans. And um, I figured at that time I'd be a power forward because Maurice Lucas, that was the style ball in that era in the early, you know, mid-70s. You had sharp elbows. Yeah, and I had sharp elbows. <laughs> and uh, I wasn't scared to use them and uh, uh, so I figured I'd be a power forward so I'm playing power forward at the camp and uh, I'm playing real well and then uh, 
the next day, uh, Arbach and Heinsohn came up to me and they said, uh, Arbach said, you know, you proved to us you could play power forward. Can you play center? And I kind of chuckled because I had played center my whole life. I was trying to prove to them I could play forward. <laughs> so Red Arbach got a little irritated. And I said, Coach, no disrespect, disrespect meant, but I, I played center my whole life. I was trying to prove to you guys I could play power forward. He goes, we'll see, get on the bus tonight. So from the camp, you know, you bus to Marshfield Mass High School. They had just won the championship in 1976. This is the summer afterwards. It was a high school gym. They let fans in on one side, and Red Arbach and Heinsohn would sit on the other side in a chair, and they did this all week. They wouldn't say anything to any players. The assistant coach ran it, and they would just talk amongst themselves. So um, I'm... Uh, playing center and I'm playing with Jojo White and I'm posting up on the left block and Jojo White said get on the blocks and he's feeding me the ball every time down and in college I got double and triple team so he this is nothing this is now I'm one-on-one nobody's I can do anything so I, I shot a couple of hooks across the middle right-handed hooks on a seven foot it was seven foot one which was you know first time I really played somebody taller than me and then uh then I he cut off the hooks. I did some drop steps and turnarounders off the backboard. And I'm just destroying them on the blocks. And then Jojo White, during a break, he says, Dave, uh, Red wants you to get on the right block. So I get on the right block, and Jojo White's feeding me the ball. So the guy gives me the middle again. Now I'm shooting left-handed hooks, a couple hooks, uh, and then go through my whole set of counters. And no problem. I'm like thinking, man, this is the NBA. This is yeah. this is this is one guy on I me. Mean, I could yeah, you, handle it. Yeah, I can handle this easy. So uh, then also there was a play. I was coming down on the right wing, filling the lane, and it was kind of congested. And uh, Jojo White looks at me, and I'm thinking, there's no way he's going to give me the ball. So I start crossing. And he looks at me and he looks away and he flicks, he used to flick his wrist a lot with this shot. And he, he flicks a bounce pass right between his defender's legs, comes up perfectly to me in stride. And I go up to dunk it and uh, the one player that was covering me, he comes to block it. So I bring it behind my head and he swings, misses, and I tomahawk dunk it. And, and nobody was dunking all week. So uh, all the fans went nuts. And after that, there was a loose ball, and it was going out of bounds, and it was going right towards Tom Heinsohn and our back. And I'm on offense, and if it goes out, it's a defense ball. So I have two guys trying to block me from getting the ball, and I shed them with my arms. I dive for the ball right before it goes out of bounds, and I flick it to Jojo White. And Tom Heinsohn just jumps off his chair, yelling, way to hustle, Kyle. And I, I was getting tired at that point, but then I got a second win. <laughs> And then uh, when it was over, all the fans like started coming up to me, slapping me on the back. You know, I had about 30 people swarming. Man, you're gonna make it! You're gonna make it, man! They're all excited. I'm like, I got another year. I already, I didn't declare for the hardship. And then uh, the next day, Arbeck and Heinsohn come up to me and they go, uh, "How old are you?" I said, "I just turned 21." And they both sighed. I'm like, "Why? What's wrong?" They said, "If you were 22, we'd sign you right now. You could." You can play for us right now. You're better than our first-round pick. And I'm like, 
you know, I was like shocked because, you know, I was kind of told I wasn't ready. And here are NBA championship team, Hall of Fame coaches now. I think, I think you'll take their opinion yeah. over others. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, you know, sometimes I wish I said, what can we do? But I figured there was nothing I could do, you know, but I was still young. It was a different era. Obviously, if it were nowadays, you'd, you'd have been in the league for a couple of years already by that age. At age, yeah, probably, you know, yeah. at age 21, you'd have gone out after the one yeah, that's and done. Cons- that's considered an old man now. 20, uh, it is. 22. You know, been, yeah. been in the league three years, and you're only 20, yeah. 21. Well, you injured your Achilles. That obviously turned out to be an impetus that you know uh, led you to do other things but got you into photography in more ways than one, right? A, a very difficult thing to go through. Yeah, it was. the way to you being a, a photographer. You know, you go from being uh, All-American. I set, I think, eight records at Cleveland State. I was 14th in the nation in scoring and 9th in rebounding my junior year. And I'm going to my senior year thinking I'm just going to totally dominate sure. after, after that uh, Celtic camp. And then I, I injured my Achilles doing a jump stop. Mm-hmm. an open gym and then I rested a couple weeks and then I went to the trainers and they're working on it and they said well rest a little more so I rested a month and then I started coming back preseason conditioning and then it really started hurting real bad and then they end up uh, giving me some cortisone injections which made it feel good but actually I found out later that cortisone on your Achilles not a good thing not a good thing and uh, so I, I was under the impression that if I started the season I couldn't redshirt so I felt good I wanted to play and I started the season and after like the first game I didn't practice for a month I think I can't recall who we played I think we played Eastern Michigan I might add 27 points and I didn't play for a month and then it slowly Achilles started getting worse and then I met with the doctors I got another cortisone injection felt good for a while but then I'm like kind of rusting I'm not in shape and then sometimes it would just completely swell up it was like playing on a sprained ankle and I'm like trying to be a tough guy and I'm thinking well I'm stuck you know and I was under impression hey if I quit you know scouts won't like it but I should have just realized that Arbeck wanted me anyway it probably been the best thing to do but right. I kept playing just you know that was the Willis Reed era I remember he come yeah, walking on the court it was an infamous instance if you're yeah. just young and haven't heard about that that was NBA finals he literally limps out of the locker room and leads the Knicks to an NBA championship yeah and I, and I always like whatever I start something I always finish it so I was trying to trying like hell to get through the season yeah but uh and then in the last part of the season, I just pra- I didn't even practice the last month. I just played in the games, which wasn't too smart. And then uh, I, I rested. I rested for two months, and I had okay from the doctor to start running. And then I went, ran 20 yards the next day, and ruptured it. And then the draft, Celtics, uh, everybody knew I tore my Achilles. They were checking up on me. Sure. But, you know, Red Arback still drafted me, like, in the later rounds. And after the draft, he called me, said, I know you're hurt. Whenever you're ready, I got a spot for you. So, that's uh... That's a big leap of faith for them. That was great. Yeah, actually. especially back then, that's a kiss of death, you tell Achilles. 
so then uh, I was trying to rehab and and uh, I didn't have they didn't give me a walking boot or anything and I ended up tripping on my right my good leg and caught myself with, with your bad one bad one and I split it all over I tore it back open and uh, I was walking down my driveway it was a little hill and I'm like laying on the neighbor's lawn and I'm like trying to see if I can still move my foot and I'm like okay I didn't tear it and then I looked and it was just full of blood just bleeding like crazy and I remember my mom screaming you know when she saw me laying there so then I you know they went to the clinic and I ended up I tore like 70% of it again so I figured then I'm done but I like I I had a goal I was going to play pro basketball somewhere and I just kept working at it working at it you know, different people wanted me to quit. My mom just wanted me to walk again. Right. But I kept going at it, and then that's I had an opportunity to play in Holland, and uh, you know, like uh, turned into another career. Yeah, I mean, you got an opportunity, as you mentioned, and earlier in our interview, you you gave the whole essence of how you picked up the camera because you were over in Holland. Kind of very strange, Dave, how things work yeah. in many ways. And you had a goal of, you know, playing in the NBA or being a photographer for Sports Illustrated. You achieved that and had many years um, at that magazine and continue to shoot to this day. How did you get into a very difficult organization um, uh, that's so known for it's called Sports Illustrated, folks. I mean, they're known for the great photography of the sports. The uh, Sports Illustrated, the younger generation now, they, at the time, that was it. There was it no was. ESPN on TV, no I cable I waited sports. for my Sports Illustrated magazine every week as a kid. And if you wanted sports news, you got it from Sports Illustrated. Yep. Great writing, but outstanding photography. I know it's unusual, is my neighbor used to get Sports Illustrated, and he'd give me the, the, his magazine when I was in high school. And I would cut out the pictures on the NBA players I admired and stuck them on my bedroom wall. And I don't know. Not, not yeah. I ended up, it was not the approach I planned on, but I ended up shooting yeah. for Sports Illustrated. And you ended up being the guy that shot some of those types of photos where kids in today's era might have them on their walls, the pictures of LeBron or whomever. Yeah. Now it's all on Instagram. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Social I, media. I... Um, I had an opportunity, I, I got a staff job with the Sun newspapers, and I um, shot everything I could, because I never really took any photography classes. So I tried to learn, and to this day, I still try to learn something every day. And I, I, I just approach every assignment, do the best I can. And then uh, at one point, I would I started shooting sports for Baldwin-Wallace College, Case Western Reserve, all the locals, Cleveland State University, John Carroll. And um, it, it was just a great practice. Like I took my approach that I used to improve in basketball, go out and practice, set small goals, you know, have a plan. And I did that with my photography. And then uh, I went to a sports photography workshop in 1989 by Rich Clarkson. And uh, Kodak was there, rep sponsored a super shooter award. And whoever got the Super Shooter Award would get an assignment from Sports Illustrated. Pretty cool. So everybody was kind of competing for that Super Shooter Award. And I took the approach that I just wanted to learn. 
and I, I photographed events. It was a Summer Olympic Festival that we were covering. So I covered events that I usually don't cover. Okay. And I tried to learn, and different situations arose, and I dealt with them the correct way. And I ended up getting the Super Shooter Award at the end of the week. And then you go to uh, cover, actually cover a big event with two other renowned yeah, uh, I, SI Photogs. I, um, last minute I got a call, because that's how they dealt. It's almost the same deadline as the Sun newspapers. Sun News was a weekly, Sports Illustrated is a weekly. So they probably have their, their meeting on Thursday for the games, the events they're going to cover, which is important. So I got a call to cover Notre Dame, USC football game at Notre Dame. Huge. So I get there ahead of time. I always arrive early. And, uh, you know, I'm pretty excited. And I was kind of a little bit nervous. But, uh, you know, I played in so many different sporting events. I had confidence in myself in what I was doing. And then uh, it was weird. I was hanging around where the groundkeeper was and he's an older guy and it's you know it's raining and i didn't know anything about going to a press room or anything that's where i got dropped off it's raining i'm going to stay dry in here you know because i was there pretty early and i'm talking to this groundkeeper and i kind of reminded my dad my dad had just passed away and uh when we're all done talking this guy pulls out a pack of camel cigarettes which my dad used to smoke <laughs> And he says, you know, he goes, you'll do good. Like he was encouraging me. You know, I told Stuck him it's my first time. puffed away. Yeah, he said, yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, man, that's like my dad talking to me. So then uh, the magazine comes out. First time I have anything published. Uh, I've had, like, I think I had four pictures in there. One was a flight broke out in a tunnel between USC and Notre Dame. It sounds like nowadays with Michigan and Michigan yeah, State or thing. whatever, right? <laughs> and, I, and I was actually midfield and I shot it with a telephoto lens. You know, all the fans leaning over. Seeing what's up, cool. Yeah, and that ran two pages in the opener, and then they ran a couple action shots inside. And then, was on, and then the magazine came out, and the publishing date, my dad died on October 27th. The publishing date of the magazine was October 27th. So, I, you know, I felt like, well, you know what? I got God behind me. People, you know, this is what I'm supposed to do. Right. And, I, and, I, and once I realized that, like, somebody told me, like, God just took me say, hey, you're not going to be a pro basketball player and just pick me, you're going to be a professional photographer. Right. And once I, like, accepted that, and I, I I knew this was what I'm supposed to do. Like, I was, I'm never nervous covering anything. I never was. I'm like, you know, this is, this is what I do. Yes. And so I've always had confidence in what I, with the, with the job. And you've, you've shot so many uh, uh, games here in Cleveland. Uh, if fans go to the games, they would see you right under the under the basket. And so let's talk just a little bit about how technologies have changed. Like you used to have have to have an assistant who would like set up all the wires for the different lights that you would activate, strobes and all that type of stuff. Right. And now it's not as needed as much as it was in the past, correct? But still, there's a lot of preparation that goes into just being ready to shoot the right shot when it happens. Yeah. Years ago, I, I had access to the catwalks, and you know, since 9/11 and all that, everything's really restricted. Sure. And, and other photographers have done stupid things to say, "We, you're not, this is, you're not doing this anymore." But I used to, since I shot with strobes, I had hardwire everything, 
from the hallways and all that. Now it's all electronic pocket wizards. And the only thing I really wire now is um, Ethernet lines to my camera. Okay. So my cameras are connected to the NBA photo desk. So as soon as I take a picture, like within one second, that picture is at the NBA photo desk. Cool. And they send it out. As before, I would shoot with strobes, color, slide film. You had to be, guess your, you know, you knew your exposure. You couldn't see your exposure, but you, yeah. knew, you had to know what you're doing. And then I have bags of film, and then you get them processed and edit at home. And, you know, I still have a bunch of files at home. Oh, I bet you do. And then uh, now it's just instant. I had a picture um, several years ago of John Morant when he yeah. jumped over Kevin. Yes, go right over Kevin Love. I'm sure yeah. he signed that for you. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, I saw him get that rebound. Now, when I shoot with lights, I only get one shot every three seconds. So now with the motor drive, you're getting 20 frames a second. I get one every three, so I get two shots every six seconds. So you're gambling back then. So you're timing. I'm still gambling. I'm, I'm still that way, one shot every three seconds. So you got to time it. So I saw Morant get the ball, and I saw him start to tack the hoop. And I, I'm familiar with his game where he planted on two feet. And I said, he's going up. Now, I'm looking through the camera. I'm tight. I did not see Kevin standing there and then i see him go up and i he had it cocked way behind his head and i took the shot and then i i look because i have to wait three seconds so i i look take the camera away and see what's going on to prepare for the next shot and i see kevin on the floor i'm like oh man that i hope he not dunked on kevin like kevin's a good friend of mine and he's a great guy i'm like not kevin and then I didn't realize the ball hit the back of the rim and went out. And I mean, he jumped over Kevin Love. He jumped, Love, over, man. He jumped yeah. over him. It's crazy. Six, nine. And uh, so since I'm connected to the Ethernet, that shot got out on Getty Images through the NBA. And all of a sudden, I'm getting texts from my nephews and people I know your Morant picture is going viral. ESPN, Sports Center, they all everybody just grabbed it. Oh, they, everybody just grabbed it, and it's it's a beautiful shot. And you know, that's probably overnight. I had a couple million views on there through all those sites, just from Sports Center, ESPN. Then I found out I don't collect basketball cards, but um, I stopped. There's a sports card company right near my house. I'm like, I'm just gonna go in there and see what it's like. Yeah. And then I looked into that picture and at the time that was like the most collected basketball card for a couple yeah, you have a years. young star yeah. leaping over this this guy who's just but yet just shows you the incredible athleticism yeah. and how you keep up with him and how you even moving a little bit along here how you have the relationships with the players how is that uh, how do you know if you're shooting a guy that's getting ready for a game whether it's a LeBron or a, a Kevin Durant or a Kevin Love how do you know how to give them the space but to get close enough to get what you need to get yeah. it's almost like a conundrum there you know I, I know a lot of the guys from for the years just talking to them so a lot of them trust me that i'm not going to make them look bad or i can tell they're looking in their eye if they're really intense you know okay you know just give them a space let them because i don't want to interfere with the game or guys 
preparation sure. for a game, mentally or physically. But, um, you know, or you, I know I have a relationship with somebody, and I'm like, or if I'm not sure, like if they're stretching on the floor, I might put the camera on the floor and just aim it and say, hey, you know, hey, mind if I take a quick shot? And if you ask, they're cool if you yeah. don't know them. But uh, I think th- I've been around a while. They, they're all pretty cool. They kind of trust you, and they, yeah. and they know. Yeah. And then you've had, you know, you've had photos like Sports Illustrated uh, 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 cover shots, like Michael Jordan, you know, when I think the, the, the word was just why, question mark. That was when he was coming back. Right? That was when his, he retired. When he retired, his first one or his, his first one. His first one. So, you everybody was kind of skeptical. They go, "What's what's the what's the real reason why he's stepping away?" And we all know that he played baseball for a year and came yeah. back. But you you had assignments. An assignment is not get me a cover shot, per se. What is the assignment? Well, sometimes like when I was shooting on my own, in that case. Mm-hmm. Now I'm contracted by the NBA. Before I was like freelance, I was contracted by the Cavs or, you know. I, I, I overtook your photo. Yeah. Uh, that was, I, I think that was at the old Coliseum. And uh, remember Ed Nera, the super fan? Yeah. I remember People Eddie don't know. Like Eddie had those, like that opera voice. Those thick glasses and that booming voice. And he wore an orange shirt. He wanted to make sure everybody saw him. He was sitting in the front row and... And Jordan, he was probably chirping at Michael. Well, he was he was waiting for his moment, and Michael wasn't having a very good game, and the Cavs did not want to get him mad. So, Jordan got called. Believe it or not, I think he got called for traveling or something. And he's at my end, and he's holding the ball, and he's like chewing out the ref. And then, right before that, or right after that, Ed Nera stands up he's got a box of Wheaties with Michael Jordan on the cover <laughs> and he goes with his deep voice what's the matter Michael didn't eat your Wheaties <laughs> and Jordan tells him to sh- shut the hell up and sit down and then I love it and now all the players went down court and Jordan's holding the ball and the ref's not gonna question him he's, yeah it's Michael so Michael just drops the ball and he's walking down the court and I see him walking and I'm like I'm thinking like that Babe Ruth from the back shot, yeah. you know, or I Lou Gehrig at the microphone. Yeah, I'm thinking, yeah. okay, he's walking away. I go, I actually thought this this would be a nice shot when he retires or like he walks away from the game. It was a real clean shot, and I shot it, and I just kept it in my file. And then when he did retire, the editor of Sports Illustrated calls me up. He says, Dave, you got any pictures of Michael Jordan from the back? I said, what are you looking for? I said, what ideally are you looking for? I said, we're looking for him, like, walking away from the back. I said, I got it. Now, you know, you're talking about thousands of sites. He goes, like, how do you know you have it? I said, when it happened, I knew... Uh, it's what it would be used for. What it would be used for. And it was like, uh, you're on deadline. It was, uh, it might have been a Saturday. And he's, like, FedEx it in. Now, this is, this is before, you know, before email and all that. And I said, uh, I, said, I FedExed it in. I said, let me know if you use it. So he goes, I'll know Monday night. I'll call you either way. So I never had a cover yet. And George Washington is his name, believe it or not. I called him the president. Um, calls me up, says, you got the cover. We're using it. It's exactly what we're looking for. So 
So I was pretty excited about that. So was my wife. She goes, how much does that pay? And I told her, <laughs> I told her, she says, we could use a new refrigerator. <laughs> get me some more covers. Yeah, get some more covers. So that was my first cover, and that's pretty iconic. And at the time, like, if you weren't really a full-time staffer, getting covers was pretty tough. Sure it was. Because they probably had to pay extra. But um, So that was my first one. I think I had five uh, covers. I also had one with... Um, LeBron doing a chalk toss yes. from the back. From the back. Yeah, everybody shot him from the front. Yeah, I don't, never understood that. I thought you had the best angle. Well, I've been, I tried to get that shot for like several games and I and a lot of people would copy what you do once because of the electronic age. It's, if pictures got put on Getty, people would look to see what you shot and then next time they're doing the same angle. So I didn't overdo that and uh I tried like several games to get it because either a ref would walk by, somebody would be in the way, a TV camera behind the court, and I think it was like probably like the sixth game where I finally got a clear shot. And uh, one time, I, the game before, I told the ref, I said, hey, I'm trying to get a shot of LeBron in the back. Don't walk in front. Yeah. He goes, okay. And then he walks in front, and I look at him like, oh, I'm sorry. So the next game. They forget. Yeah, I got him. So... And then uh, that was on Getty for a while. I didn't take another shot, let it go. Nobody really caught it. And then uh, SI was going to run it on their cover And when the Cavs were in the finals. And um, they actually asked a Sports Illustrated staffer to reshoot that shot. Oh. And he was so they wouldn't have to pay. Uh, yeah. And he was pretty pissed off about it because you don't want to copy somebody else's work he told me about it but fortunately the Cavs swept their two opponents so that he didn't get a chance to come back and then they end up using that shot on the cover you had a good relation or have a good relationship with uh with LeBron I mean he 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 knows what you do and he's seen you for years he knows you have a basketball background in yourself you played uh there's a respect factor there I hope so I like, I talk to different players, but LeBron is like, everybody wants something from him. You know, if I, I gave him a space, if I say, hey, LeBron, and I want, you know, if I went to talk to him, he would stop and talk to me and listen. He was very polite about that. And I, I told him, like, my background, you know, that I, you know, I grew up in Cleveland. I was number five, eight kids. I wasn't any rich family guy buying a camera. And then, uh, but I also respect what, you know, people have all different opinions mm. of LeBron, but I really respect what he did with the kids in Akron and how hard he works. Hey, people don't realize how hard he works off the court to stay in shape, to be physically fit. Right. And, and like, you know, he built this school for Akron. He's got the kids' uh, lunch programs and all that. I could have used a lunch program back in the day. You know, right. I had peanut butter and crackers every day for lunch. <laughs> yeah. But now look at me. I don't need a lunch That's program. That's right. <laughs> I'll take one, though. Exactly. <laughs> I'm happy to give one. Though. Yeah. Um, so it's the, the relationship. It's good. It's solid. He, you respect what he has to do. Um, what folks may or may not be aware of, when LeBron was getting ready for uh, the NBA All-Star game here in Cleveland, the photos started 
to the photo started to resurface and it takes us back many years to when LeBron's 16, 17 years of age. You're the guy that got the photo. So it's an iconic shot of the future superstar meeting the superstar. It's LeBron meeting Michael in the hallway at what was then Gundarine and now Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. Set us up for that. Well, LeBron was still in high school and some of the guards, you know, I'm friends with a lot of people. Some of the guards said, hey, LeBron James is going to be here. Yeah, the security guys. Yeah, yeah. and then uh, my nephew Bill, he's up on that, and he told me about LeBron James is going to be here. And I'm like, you know, he was still in high school. I'm yeah. like, I never saw him play. I just heard of him and never. Yeah, this is 20-some years ago. Yeah. This is pre-social media and all that stuff, right. too. So... I didn't really see him. I think I grabbed a shot maybe when he was near the court. And then we were started to leave. Now I got all my gear, all the wires you tell me, you know, wires, everything. I got a roller, I got five cases of gear, pocket wizards and all that. And we're heading out through the parking garage by the command center. And then, uh, so say, one of the guards said, hey, told him, uh, LeBron's going to meet Michael Jordan. He's waiting for him. So I'm like, oh, man, you know, and my, my computer tech wants to go home. It was a long day. I said, man, I got to get this. So I take two bags off. I get to my case with the camera. I throw a wide-angle lens on there. I'm walking. I see him waiting outside the visiting team locker room, and I'm walking over there. I sit. Okay, I'm guessing at the exposure, you know, I don't shoot automatic the hallway. You know, I'm going to have time. And as soon as I get there, Michael Jordan comes walking out right when I get there. And I quick grab a couple shots, and he's greeting LeBron. And LeBron's a skinny kid, and there's Jordan with the suit, you know. And I caught that moment, and we sent sent it out. And I don't think he got posted right away because, you know. Nobody knew it was a big deal at the time. Right. Nobody knew it was a big deal at the time. And now every, you know, that's iconic shot. It's seen it all all the time. I'm glad people give me photo credit for it. Yeah. I got to give my nephew Bill a little photo credit, he, too. He, he alerted you. Yeah, he was alerting, alerting me. Like, he's got to get this. I'm like, okay, I'll, you know. Well, I think if people want to uh, get a taste for some of your photography and also your thoughts on just the whole art of photography in itself or how you get a shot... Um, you've got a great website. It's David Liam Kyle Photography, or David just Liam, David Liam Kyle dot com. Okay. David D A V I D Liam L I A M. Nobody could spell it. K Y L E. <laughs> or the easy version, it's D L K dot Photography. Okay. D L K dot Photography would be easy to. Uh, and you you have blog posts there, a lot of different. Yeah, things. I have blogs on some stories behind shots, different uh, uh, stories behind uh, different events I covered. Uh, also, there's a link in there somewhere on some sports photography tips if you want to learn to shoot your high, kid's high school game or whatever, like how I approach different events when I worked at the Sun newspapers. Mm-hmm. Many great exposures for you in the years to come. It's always been a pleasure knowing you. It's always been great to uh, catch you at sporting events, and uh, we go back a long way, but I just think uh, if you're new to photography or if you're new to sports or podcasts and want to hear from someone who's really lived it on both sides, you are the man, David Liam Kyle. Always a pleasure. Thanks, John. Pleasure, brother. 
You better Appreciate work. It. Thanks so much to David for a great conversation. And mind you, if you are at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse, look down along the baseline and you will see the big fella doing his thing each and every time that the Cleveland Cavaliers are out on the floor. I enjoy the chat. I hope you did as well. And certainly if you can, as per usual, we're asking for you to subscribe, rate, and give some kind of recommendation and share the episode if possible. It would help me continue to do this work, which I thoroughly have been enjoying all these years and will continue to enjoy as I move into the retirement phase of my life. Thanks again for listening. And thank you very much to David Lean Kyle. And we'll catch you the next time around on Tellage Talks.